Hello. Hi. It's been a minute. I know. I've missed you. I've missed everyone. <laughs> I know. My grandma was like, where's the episode this week? Let's <laughs> you and ask you where the episode is. That's so cute. Well, Not tell really her we're so sorry, but we're back, grandma. Yeah, we're back. We took a little break because we're really busy and it's hard to coordinate schedules sometimes. Yeah. So forgive us. We needed the break though. Yes, we did. Honestly, I was very grateful and I really appreciate everyone just being patient with us and understanding because the uh, the times are rough right now. <laughs> yeah. We both have a lot of school and work stuff, which has just been keeping us busy. Yeah, but we're but, getting through it. It's yeah. going well. <laughs> we're going to make it through. Honestly, I feel like neither of us right now sounds like our usual peppy, happy selves. We're just like, yeah, everything's good. Okay. Do you want peppy? Yeah. We got this. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um, something actually that is exciting has happened since our last episode. And I was actually fortunate enough to go with my coworkers. So as a lot of you probably know. LA has a new metro line, partially, partially finished metro line. It's not completely finished yet um, because there's some related projects that are still in progress. And so it's kind of hindered the completion of the route. But the K line or the pink line has opened, which goes basically from the Expo Crenshaw station of the Expo line down into Westchester and it was really fun. I went to the opening and there was a line. There was a line, took us like 45 minutes from the time we got to Expo and um, Crenshaw to get onto the train. Oh my gosh. That's time I've ever seen a line and I doubt that there will be another one, but it was still cool to see all the people that turned up. Yeah, that's awesome. There was like a whole field trip of like first graders. Oh my God. Were, they were every time someone like came up coming from the other direction, I guess going, I can't do directions right now, coming the other way towards Expo Crenshaw, they would clap. Oh, people would come up the escalator because it's underground. And it was so cute because they just like drove the train and the kids were like, <laughs> that's so fun. I wish that adults looked yeah. at trains the way that children do because like children think like oh my god this is an adventure and adults yeah. are like ew I never want to see this again yeah and it's like can't we just flip the script a little bit <laughs> yeah and it was really cool they gave us all like an art guide that kind of tells you who the artist is um and what I think it says yeah which stop it's at and like what nice. the art like really means and there's some beautiful art. Like, yeah, they have some really cool stuff at the stations. And I really hope that it stays as such. Yes. Um, metro stations in LA are not historically the cleanest mm-hmm. of places. I'm really hoping that at least the art is respected in a way that maybe like an empty metro station might not be. But yeah, it was really fun. We got to ride... Um, we got lunch in Inglewood and it was just really cool to see people actually come out and like support this because it's been a long time coming. 
Yeah, it really has been. It's been, it's been in, in the works for like many, many decades. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the flip side, (laughs) LA has been a wild, wild place to be. A lot has been happening. And I remember I just like woke up this morning and I was walking Milo and I'm looking on Instagram and I just see LA city council backdoor meetings uncovered da, da, da. And I'm like reading through and I'm like, what is going on? And so I don't remember everything that I saw. So Sam, if you want to go ahead and like give us a little synopsis of what happened, but all I know is I want to say that it's a Brown act violation. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I do believe, um, the meeting was a Brown act violation. There was collusion. So I'll let you, I'll let you give your synopsis of what happened. Um, yeah. So I don't know, obviously all the details. I haven't listened to all the clips just because it came out. I'm pretty sure it came out yesterday for the first time, like later in the day. And then, um, I was kind of curious, like how people were going to react. And so I actually looked at like the Instagram comments of the last post that the people involved, which was the LA city council president. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her first name right. Nuri, it's N-U-R-Y. Nuri Martinez, um, Kevin DeLeon, and then Gil Cedillo. And I was looking at their Instagram and every comment was like, resign, resign, resign. Mm-hmm. Like, horrific like you should not be representing the people of LA like right and some people would talk about like in the comments kind of like black brown like relationships in LA and how like this does not portray like how people feel in LA and like they should not be representing them right from what I understand there were some comments that were speaking badly on Oaxacan immigrants in Koreatown and then on the flip side um Mike Bonin, he represents um I think parts of West LA and like Venice. Yes. And they were he has he has a black son and yeah, who were, he adopted, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he has a male partner and uh-huh. so adopted their kid, and they were saying really horrible things yes. about, about a child. Yeah. And basically I, how like he I think one of the people talked about how he like brings the kid around like a Louis Vuitton bag. So like black people like him better. Oh my God. This is his child that and his partner adopted. Obviously there are like (laughs) biological limits to having a child when you are two people of the same sex. So you need to adopt a kid. It's just like this, the whole thing is just really, really bad I think the right. conversation was from October of 2021 wow and I absolutely think that well the president stepped down from being the president of city council right is still on city council I think that they should all resign yeah absolutely I mean they're truly number one there shouldn't be even an attempt to try to recover because like at the end of the day what you said is what you meant and now you're just you know, you're basically trying to backtrack because you, you know, people found out yeah, and yeah. you were just, you know, an idiot who thought that that was something that was okay to say. Yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, no attempt to try to backtrack. It really is just at this point, you need to accept that you said such horrible and disgusting things and you should not represent 
a city as diverse as Los Angeles, if you're not willing to be a representative and a voice for every single person. And clearly, if you're willing to say such horrendous, like disgusting things, you have no business being in a place of authority or in a position of power whatsoever, because all you're doing is harm. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, obviously they've released like apology statements. Mm, yeah. And it just seems like really shallow and not genuine or sincere to release like a written apology and being like, yeah, never is genuine. I acknowledge my remarks. I take full ownership of them and I am so sorry. Yeah. I right? mean, like, you got to do the work though. Like, yeah. You just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Didn't but like that's really that's just what happens though in October of 2021 up until now there was radio silence from them yeah they didn't think anything was gonna happen yeah and now there's leaked footage and now there's an apology and this is what I always say is like you're not sorry you did it you're sorry you got caught up yeah and now you're just trying to backtrack and it's just doesn't work like there you know I don't have sympathy for people like that if you would ever feel comfortable saying that even if it's closed door communication like you're disgusting yeah that's I it doesn't matter like (laughs) there's just no excuse for it it's really horrific yeah um so yeah I just Sam and I did want to briefly just touch upon that because it did just happen and it is in our city. So just wanted to share that news for those who haven't heard it. Um, yeah. And we can link some of the like articles that have been. Yes, released. absolutely. Um, they are like pretty horrible to read, but yeah. I think it's, like important to acknowledge that like <laughs> these things are happening behind closed doors and like absolutely. how the LA times puts it, which I think is true. It like, offers a rare window into the behind scene behind the scenes um okay I don't know how to pronounce this word I'm so sorry I just dropped my microphone so no, for it, anybody it, that just heard that I don't so think sorry. it made a sound well at least okay. I didn't hear anything I just saw your face go okay <laughs> um this word it's like machine but it's machinate machin, machinations I don't know how to say it I'm probably gonna sound really stupid Anyway, it gives a behind the scenes look at the redistricting process, which mm-hmm. this was this conversation was um, surrounding redistricting. Right. That was that's really what I read, like something about the collusion. Yeah, like, the it plays a really big part in like who has political power. Right. When you redistrict. Yeah. And like who can like get elected in mm-hmm. what kind of um, districts. So. Yeah, there was also some talk in some of the clips I made about like, oh, well, we can strike a deal here or like we can do this if we do like redistrict this or whatever. And it wasn't really any specifics, but it was like, oh, striking deals. Yeah. All that good stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I mean, I know for a fact that nobody listening to our podcast would ever do something like this, but like be very careful about the things that you say and be very mindful of the comments that you make. And, you know, it's just, I don't ever think anybody listening to this would ever do something like that, but these comments are very harmful and, you know, people just need to be very careful about the things that they say, regardless of when or where it's said. I also just feel like if you do have like, like if you do find yourself like having like, thought I don't know like 
not that anyone would have thoughts like this, but just like do work, like self-work. Yeah. Breaking down, like why you might feel like that. And absolutely moving forward from that. I don't know, reading books, talking to people, just a lot of like self-work, I feel like goes into not having those thoughts. And I feel like that's one of the reasons that I'm not a fan of like career politicians or people Mm -hmm. who like just want to be in office because it's like a power yeah you know yeah whatever for sure anywho well that's that's our little we can do a compliment sandwich where we have a positive a negative and positive but I don't know if this is kind of positive but I just read that Biden like officially said that today is like indigenous people say oh no okay so it was officially declared I think so I I should probably double check before I just like go saying that but I'm pretty sure I just saw Biden said that let me let me look it up Biden people are gonna hear me typing sorry (laughs) I don't hear it so I don't know if it if they Never mind. This was last year. <laughs> so on October 8th, 2021. Okay, perfect. So we're just a year behind, okay. but it's still a good yeah. thing. Still a good thing. Yeah. So happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Hey. Welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. So um, today, Sam and I really wanted to do an overview of some of the recent legislation that has come through in the state of California, because there is a lot, a lot, a lot related to the field of urban planning. And we wanted to really just kind of discuss, you know, what's been happening. And so um, I'm going to let Sam take it away with the first law uh, that was enacted and we'll have we'll have a nice discussion about it. Yeah, a lot happening. Gavin Newsom's been busy. And I know not everyone might like him, but we have we're I think we're moving in a in a more positive direction with some of these. I think that there's they're problematic. Some of them are problematic in the sense of like how are we going to get there? Yeah. But I think we're moving in a positive direction. For sure. Um, but yeah, there are some big limitations yeah. that I think we definitely need to talk about because it just kind of like right off the bat like hearing some of them you're just thinking like okay yeah that sounds really good if you know we kind of have like the magic ball to yeah make sure that we're going to be able to get all this done but we don't and so we have to really consider that but yes definitely moving in a direction that's with good intention yeah um but you know that's not always the way that we should be moving and so I'm excited to talk about them. So first, we're going to go back a little bit. Um, so Executive Order N7920 was um, put out by Governor Newsom a little bit ago, and it basically set a goal that the state should have 100% of their in-state sales of new passenger cars and trucks be zero emission by 2035. And then medium and heavy duty vehicles, which are typically like um, 
like big semis and like different types of vehicles like that like a light duty is like a passenger car van whereas right. heavy duty is like what it sounds like heavy duty <laughs> anyway. 100% of medium and heavy duty vehicles in the state um should be zero emission by 2045 for all operations where feasible and by 2035 for drayage trucks um i don't think it's that not important to differentiate but Basically, what this executive order did was it charged CARB, which is the California Air Resources Board, to execute those goals. So basically, it said, this is what we're going to do, and CARB, you figured out. Yeah. So then, on August 25th, CARB established a rule called the Advanced Clean Cars 2. Mm-hmm. The second. <laughs> the second. Um, and this rule establishes a year-by-year roadmap so that by 2035, of new cars and light trucks sold in California will be zero emission vehicles, including plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. Um, And it codifies that light duty goal set out in the executive order I previously mentioned. So I guess this specific rule doesn't touch on medium and heavy duty vehicles. Mm -hmm. I didn't look to see, I didn't look to see, honestly, if they have established, if that's what like one is or if they have established that. Right. I would say this is still a big deal. Absolutely. So many cars. Yeah. Like like light duty trucks. Also 2035 is really not far away at all. Um, which is why it's both like very interesting and also quite concerning. (laughs) Did you want to start with any thoughts that you had? Yeah, sure. I have a a lot of thoughts, but I want to, um, right off the bat, I, how do I say it? I think, as I said, a well-intentioned law that I feel had very little thought behind it because from an urban planning perspective, actually I'll, I'll put it this way. I remember when the rule passed or when the executive order was signed and then I was driving on the freeway, maybe the next day, I think. And you know, those like billboard signs, the um, big, like They've got orange lettering. They're like the electronic signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah, driving on the like freeway. Buckle up. Or yeah, like, exactly. Drive drunk or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So the buckle up was not there. And instead it was between the hours of 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. Please conserve all of your electricity because yeah. our grid is basically like we're having problems with the grid. Yeah. So then I'm thinking like I'm just sitting in my car and I was like, okay, so we have a grid that we already is not able to support what we have currently. Yeah. And you want to try to plan to re- basically have a majority, I'm sorry, not a majority, have every single new manufactured car be electric. Okay. So do we have the infrastructure for that? Absolutely not. We're going to have to build that. That's extremely expensive. That's number one. Do we have the grid to support it? Clearly we don't. Yeah. Number two, I drive a Tesla. I have a Tesla. And one thing that I was thinking about very much when I bought my Tesla was, okay, so what's the mileage range? Like how long do these do do the Teslas last? So I I remember I was looking it up because I wanted to see like how long compared to a standard vehicle is, is an electric car going to last. So it's 500,000 miles is typically the range the car will go, which is long. Like this is long long for a car. Right. But then I did like a kind of deep, dark dive 
And I start reading about how we don't really have the means to dispose of the lithium that's in Mm -hmm. the car battery Mm -hmm. and that we don't actually have much mitigation plans, many mitigation plans for recycling or getting or disposing of these batteries once they die. Yeah. So already off the bat, we've got all of these problems, not to mention we are one state out of 50. If somebody wants to go buy a gas vehicle, they can go right next door to our, our brother, Nevada. And <laughs> why, is Nevada, why is Nevada a brother? Do we have sisters know. too? Sure. And our sister, Arizona. And that actually makes sense in my head. It does. Nevada does kind of, <laughs> for some bad. reason it yep. makes sense. Okay. So that's fine. So our brother, Nevada and our sister, Arizona, and they're going to go and get a gas car if they please. And they're going to come back. And then finally, I'll just, after I'll end my rant with this, we already are losing money on the gas tax now that electric vehicles are becoming so prominent. So I don't pay a gas tax and yet I provide wear and tear on the freeways. I contribute to traffic congestion, but I don't pay the cost of driving, period, regardless of whether I'm polluting or not. And so one additional issue is as we're losing revenue on the gas tax, we need to also start addressing, okay, well, once we go to hundred percent all electric, we're not going to, nobody's going to be paying a gas tax. So what's the alternative? And right now I'll tell everybody that's listening, not a single person can come to an agreement as to how we should, should switch over to a new method of charging people to drive. We don't know if it should be VMT, if it should be charged on your registration, if it should be just like a mileage fee, if it should be something that's on your taxes at the end of the year. Nobody can come to a consensus or agreement yet. And so I just think it's a bit problematic that they thought that passing this law without having other very significant things sorted out first was a good move. And that's just why like, I'm a bit concerned about this because some, what it's like, what it's getting me to feel is that this was very much like, oh, I'm, I'm a green governor. I'm a green governor. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, we're really tackling the environmental crises. Um, (laughs) But I'm sorry, you're fixing a problem and creating about five more. So I'm a bit concerned. I'm worried. Like, this is one that's really worrying me. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, Green Governor, GGG, Green Governor. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like that, but that's what it's what it's getting me to think is just it's like you want people to clap their hands and say like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so amazing. No more pollution. Um. Just wait until all of those batteries end up in the landfill, babe, and we're going to have a much bigger environmental crisis. I have a lot of thoughts. I agree with everything that you just said. And I'm going to go, I'm going to respond to what you said about how we're going to supplement the gas tax, which Mm -hmm. will become less and less and less of a source of funding for like infrastructural improvements. Yes. So you mentioned VMT. And I, at first in my head was like, oh, that makes sense. Because like, if you're driving more, you should pay more. But then you think about how a lot of times low-income people are traveling further to get to their jobs because they can't afford to live in like big job centers. And so it's like, then you have this big equity issue of like, well, what if, you know, someone has no other option 
but to be driving. Okay. So actually really quickly before you go further, I do just want to say, which has been really interesting because I keep hearing this and I need, I really need to talk to my professor about this because I was in class the other day. I'm taking a land use and transportation class right now. And my professor was saying that low-income folks drive less. Oh, they produce less VMT. Now, not to say that they don't travel greater distances, Mm -hmm. but they may just drive less in general, which like brings their numbers down. But I really want to talk to her about that because Mm -hmm. I was always under the assumption as same as you is that low-income folks do drive more just because they travel farther for work. But then if you do think about it, there is the possibility that maybe they are driving long distances to work, but they're not driving as much for other things like social activities, groceries, recreation, things like that. So I'm going to talk to her about that for clarity, but that would be interesting to think about because Mm -hmm. the thing that we do also have to acknowledge, and this is quite unfortunate and we should find ways to mitigate this as well. I totally agree. But most taxes are regressive and most taxes do impact, like the gas tax still has a significant impact on yeah. Lower income folks. So like it is something that we do need to address, but currently there is, I don't think any tax that is not regressive besides our uh, income tax. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. And I, I also feel like along those lines, like unless the cost of buying a new electric vehicle, like significantly drops, like there's going right. to be that, like, Oh, 100%. Of, like, who's going to be able to afford to buy exactly. new um, EVs. And I feel like we've already seen with gas prices going up that the resale market for hybrids for EVs is skyrocketing. Yeah. It's significant. No one wants to pay for gas, but then the market for these reused or not read these secondhand cars just skyrockets. Absolutely. So there's all these like confounding factors that are playing into this, this law and, you know, the blackouts and the brownouts of mm-hmm. we don't even have a grid to sustain what we currently have yeah and not only i will say it's not only going to be cars like there's building standards for electrification like right pretty much everything that runs on like natural gas in a in a house or apartment if you're building i think just new buildings right now like you're it's going to be electrified so it's not even just cars that are going to be putting more strain on our grid Right. It's every part of like housing and other commercial buildings. And a big one that I talk about a lot with people and it, uh, that I used to talk about a lot in my environmental studies classes was it doesn't really matter if we stop using gasoline if our grid is mm-hmm. clean. Exactly. And a lot of people like to say, oh, well, we don't have any more coal plants, but like we import power too from yeah. states that do use coal. Yes. And like, we still have a grid that isn't like completely like run on renewables. Right. So like you plugging in your electric car isn't actually doing as, I mean, I think it is good, but it's not doing as much good as you might think because mm-hmm. the grid itself is run off of fossil fuels. Yeah. Not completely. We've definitely made strides, but still. Yeah. I mean, it's just, this was a really, like when I saw people who were posting about it and they were like, oh my God, this is such a big step forward. This is so amazing. You know, okay. It's good that you want to be happy about it, but like, 
I think this is one thing that we really need to be careful about with policy is that when you do have a career politician, you know, moving forward with something like this, it can seem really superficial because then you start really considering all of these factors. And if really these factors were considered, I don't think this bill should have been authored. I don't think the executive order should have been signed because pretty much you're essentially, as you said, you're passing a law in order to basically stop pollution from vehicles, like out of vehicles, CO2 emissions out of exhaust pipes. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, we have pollution that stems from the car in other ways. Yeah. And that's from the electric vehicle. And I think the problem is, is that there's this mindset that it's like, oh, well, it's an electric vehicle. It doesn't pollute, but it's like, yeah, maybe it doesn't have an exhaust pipe that's polluting, but it, it does pollute in other ways. Yeah. And so tires that are wearing down every time they revolve. So it's still like, you know, you have those really teeny tiny um, pollutants that are coming from the road. They're coming from the tires. Yes. And I don't want to be such a downer too. Like sometimes it's okay, Sam, we can be a little bit of a downer for this one. Cause it's really, I mean, like I was actually kind of disappointed, like hearing about this only because it's, and also I think the biggest thing for me was at the end of the day, it's a car. Yeah. It's still a car. It's still going to be on the freeway. It's still going to contribute to traffic congestion. It's still going to continue causing all of the issues that we still have by our reliance on freeways and cars. Mm -hmm. And so we really like are not doing very much to try to invest in alternative modes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily like, you know, that this is so horrible or so bad, but I just don't think that this was a very well thought out plan um, or a policy, I should say. I was very disappointed by it, if I'm being honest. And I'm really sorry to say that, but. I just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think the thought is in the right place. Like we do have to address this climate crisis as soon as possible. We do have to move away from fossil fuels, but I do think that investing in alternative modes, investing in like active transportation, bus rapid transit, like micro mobility. Yeah. Micro mobility. Like these other solutions in tandem with electrification and with improvements of the grid and with like all, and I know that these are all happening smaller scale, but I think, I don't know. I think that it could have been supplemented by more than just a hundred percent electrification. And I mean, it does say that the, I haven't read the entire rule, not gonna lie. I don't have time for that right now. Yeah. However, it might set a plan that talks about the grid, but with the pace that we've been going and how we're still having brown and blackouts, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just hard for me to believe that in 13 years, 12 years, we'll be able to like meet the of every single person who wants to buy a car is going to and like have the infrastructure in their home or publicly to charge like we don't have that many chargers at the moment. Yeah. I, I just like, I don't know. I feel like this is just, and maybe it is like, maybe we're just not getting the full picture because we haven't read all of it yet, but I'm just thinking to myself, like, how do you actually expect number one, 
How are you going to get people to only buy electric vehicles that are manufactured in the state of California? Can't, I mean, you're going to force them or are they really going to do exactly what I said and go over to our brother and sister and go get a gas car and bring it back? Like it's a three hour drive. It's not that far away. I just like, I'm very confused as to exactly how this is going to play out. And I know that like, I mean, like you said, 12, 13 years, we have some time to see what's going to unfold, but like, I just, I don't, it's not sounding good thus far. Yeah. I'm just, okay. I just clicked on it. And the environmental justice section of what is posted on CARB's website is about three sentences. Okay. (laughs) It talks about um, how the warranty and durability requirements in the regulation will help establish a viable and dependable used zero emission vehicle market to ensure emission benefits are permanent. So apparently resale isn't going to be crazy. Okay. Although it's market demand. So I don't really know how, right. How they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, it notes that, um, the emissions reductions will particularly benefit those who live near roadways and suffer from persistent air pollution, which is often low income communities of color. Okay. I mean, that's good. Yeah. Right. And then it talks about how it includes an approach to provide credits to automakers for certain actions, not defined, that increase access to zero emission vehicles by low-income households and people living in disadvantaged communities. Okay. So I guess technically the manufacturer can receive credits for things that, I don't know. It's just very big. Manufacturer. So we're going to, okay, lovely. Yeah. It's very interesting. Okay. Um, you can also get a whopping $9,500 if you scrap your older vehicles and want to purchase something that runs cleaner. Okay. And you can get a rebate for right. qualified drivers. <laughs> which I'm really Ooh. Wow. Okay. And then there's the assistant program which provides low-income car buyers with special financing and up to $5,000 in down payment assistance. So I just though have, again though like fi- regardless of the financial assistance or whatever it may be, you're basically just gonna have somebody take out a loan to buy a car that they most likely still can't afford even with the assistance, yeah. or are gonna have a hard time being able to afford. Like I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit upset by this bill. So like I feel like I'm just being a little bit more negative than usual. But let's just move on before I start crying about it. Yeah, I think we can move on. I think there's definitely a lot of nuance to that one. And there is a lot of negative, there is positive intention. And I think it can have a really good, as it says, a really good impact on people who are living near major highways and major freeways that are particularly affected by these smog or like, um, like smog causing air pollutants, but just a lot of nuance. Yes. All right. So moving on to AB 2097. This was signed into law on September 22nd of 2022. Uh, The author was Laura Friedman from Glendale, and this bill is going to prohibit a public agency from imposing any minimum automobile parking requirement on any residential, commercial, or other development project as defined that's located within one half mile of public transit. And uh, the public transit is defined. Usually, I believe it's it has to be 
a bus line or a rail station. I can't remember exactly, but like there is a definition as to what is considered transit that's qualified, uh, that will qualify. Yeah, um, and so high frequency too. Yes. It can't just be like a line that comes, like the headway is right. like an hour. Right, right, exactly. Be, it has to be pretty high frequency. Yes. And so essentially what this bill is doing is flipping I don't want to keep saying flipping the script, but it's flipping the script. Um, so right now what we have are maximum parking requirements. And so this is just shifting to minimum. No, we have, we have minimum parking requirements. Yeah. Because we set a minimum. We say you have to have at least this many parking. Yeah. Look, it says it prohibits a public agency. From Sorry. That's what I meant. Minimum automobile parking apologies it's that yes we currently have minimums and we're switching to a maximum because when you no we're not having there's no requirement for parking and there are like hotels aren't included there's basically okay i had to do a write-up about this at work wait didn't we have a didn't we switch though from wasn't it like originally standing that there's a maximum requirement and then or i'm sorry that there's a minimum requirement and then we're switching it and there's just going to be a maximum no, I don't know what you mean by maximum. Because in like your zoning, or if you have like an area specific plan, or if you have a community plan, there are parking requirements for if you're developing something. Always. Now there's you're, not necessarily any okay. requirement. None whatsoever. A lot of developers are going to continue of to course. provide parking, but instead of it being based on this arbitrary minimum requirement, it's just going to be based on market demand. How many okay. do I need? So because currently in any type of zoning or city plan, specific area plan, you have a like stand a standard of what you how many parking spaces you have to meet. If you're in TOD, they'll decrease them. If you're, you know, building, yeah, it's TOD. If you're within a half mile transit or a mile of transit, you're gonna have either no parking, half the amount required, but there's still like a now I'm confusing myself because I can't remember if we do minimums or maximums, but there is yeah. like, okay, so there's a minimum and that's what you have to meet. Mm -hmm. And what I had been hearing in one of my classes was that we're switching that to a maximum. I don't know what, I'm still confused what you mean by a maximum. Like so we're not eliminating anyone. Basically, instead of saying like, you have to build at minimum 12 spaces, and then they try to build over, you say you are only allowed to build a maximum of 20 spaces. And then you don't allow the discretion to be up to the developer. You basically are saying like your maximum is 20 and that's it versus a minimum. If they say your minimum is 12 and then the developer's like, okay, I'm putting 50. That's yeah, the, I understand. The, I thought that that's what the law was. Um, I understand it differently. Um, no, no, no. I think they're different. I think they oh, are different. I think I'm okay. thinking of a different law. Oh, like, okay. I, yeah, I think I'm just wrong. <laughs> okay. This one basically, um, it typically in a development, depending on how many, like for a residential, how many people are living there, how many units you have, like the occupancy of the units. And then for commercial, I don't really know how those are set. Probably just by like, like the volume of people that are going into the area. Um, you have a minimum number of parking spaces that you need to provide. However, parking is really, really, really expensive to build, um, especially if it's gonna be subterranean, which is like underground. And so this bill prohibits any public agency, so city, county, 
usually it's that like a local level from imposing any minimum parking requirements on any residential and commercial development project. So a developer is probably still going to put in parking because people need it, but it's not held to an arbitrary minimum. Yeah. I don't know of any maximum, so I think it's maybe different or yeah, this, this bill does not apply to electric vehicle parking. Okay. It does not apply to ADA parking. You still have to provide those. It doesn't apply to um, hotels. Um, what else? For event centers, um, like big theaters or stadiums, you still have to provide parking. It's interesting because the bill says you still have to provide parking for employees. Doesn't say anything about um, like attendees. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know. But anywho, I think this law will, there's a lot of, you know, talk of how it will improve the price of housing. Yeah, right because parking is such a significant part of the budget to provide housing. But I think in places that are already parking starved or they don't have enough parking, it might, it could be problematic, mm -hmm. particularly in areas. I mean, they do have to meet this threshold of half a mile of public transit, but half a mile is still a long distance to walk to transit. Right. So, for people that are not able to, or just if you live in an area where it's really hot and there's not a lot of shade and walking half a mile, like, I think there are a lot of, like, limitations to this still. Absolutely. Um, I'm, like, trying to find where I saw maximums and I can't find, oh, I found it. Um. <laughs> So it's saying that cities in California are eliminating parking minimum requirements and beginning to implement parking maximums for new construction uh, projects. So this is on a city by city basis. Okay. And they're starting to switch that because by changing to a maximum, you don't allow it to be at the discretion of the developer. And so okay. it's based on like an analysis done and then they submit like whatever the requirement is. Um, so sorry, I got so confused, but it's because I was here. Uh, we were just talking about it in one of my classes. So that is a great law. The only thing that I'm a little bit confused by is we already have like TOD. Oh no, this is statewide though. So that's the difference because yeah, yeah. TOD isn't in every area. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I love it. We already, we're not going to see much of a difference because we already do TOD here. So is it half a mile? Yeah, it's, uh, and I think it, we, you know, you always have to look at the specific area plan or basically like the most specific plan forever, mm -hmm. wherever you're developing your project um, is going to be your guidelines. Yeah. But I do believe that a state mandate would supersede. So if it was, for instance, like in one area, it was a mile. Now it's going to be half a mile based on the state mandate. Yeah. And let's be honest, who, not that nobody would, because a lot of people you know, have bikes or other means, but no one's walking a mile. No, no. Like for me, I live a mile away from my nearest, well, my nearest um, rail stop. 
takes me like a solid 25 minutes. Yeah. I'm a slow walker. I kind of, yeah. I kind of dilly dally, but yeah. still I'm sweating by the time I'm there. I show up to work and I'm dripping sweat if I walk. Absolutely. And then the rest of the day, I'm like, I hate my life. Yeah. I feel disgusting. That's that's a first world problem. Yeah. (laughs) But But for the majority, I do think it is half a mile, like for a majority of of project areas. Yeah. And this is why we need to supplement it with other things like micro mobility and shared ride share. Or shared ride share. First last mile. First last mile. Very important. Yeah. I feel like we should go, we should do an episode where we talk about just like all this, like, I feel like not, it's not jargon, but it's like, what is micromobility, you know? Like, oh yeah. First, last mile, like like, all these like kind of jargony terms that because we work in transportation, we're like, right. We should do a breakdown of that. Like just a quick thing. First, last mile is basically how someone will get from their basically like first mile of wherever they're go coming from to the last mile of where they're going to. And usually that's like your home to your bus stop, your home to your rail station, and then from your rail station to your office and your office back to the rail station. And so that's like the first and last mile. Yeah. And then going home, you have Mm -hmm. the same kind of thing, but um, yeah, it's basically what it sounds like. But just (laughs) yeah, basically it's what it sounds like. So why'd you even ask? (laughs) Okay. The next one is AB 2011 called the Affordable Housing and High Road Jobs Act of 2022. Um, Okay. I have that. It Can you double check for me if this has been signed into bill or into law? <laughs> into bill. Into bill. <laughs> um, I have it as, because I wrote these notes a, a little. Um, yeah. It was chaptered by the Secretary of State. Chapter usually means that it's been written into law. It was signed by the governor. Let me see. Well, usually when it's chaptered, it should have been signed. But let me just double check because I want to be wrong again for like the fifth time. Okay. well, basically, while that's happening, um, it allows for the ministerial or by right approval for affordable housing on commercially zoned land. It was signed. Okay. Cool. So this is now a law um, and it allows approvals for mixed income housing along commercial corridors as long as the projects meet the specified affordability, labor and environmental criteria, which is really, really cool. Mixed use zoning. Um, So, yeah, now we can have affordable housing and certain mixed income housing in commercially zoned land. Yes, we do need to be careful, though, because there's zoning for a reason. So there is like one kind of setback that, you know, you want to make sure that you aren't sticking housing in an area that maybe housing shouldn't go in. Um, But I do think this is so important for areas, for instance, like um, underutilized shopping malls as e-commerce is taking off uh, that basically just sit vacant or lots of just shopping centers that sit vacant and could, you know, be um, redeveloped into housing. I just think that's amazing. So it's a really great law and I'm excited to see, you know, what people are able to do. Yeah. And um, another little caveat is that um, it requires, the bill requires that all projects seeking approval under its provisions, ensure all construction workers earn prevailing wages and receive health benefits, um, which is really, really great. 
for you know construction workers so that they can earn their livable wage, have health benefits while they're working um, on these projects. Because I don't know if those are necessarily guaranteed. Um, typically, I, I don't. I honestly don't know, but it's required in this law. So, yeah, this basically starts to put an end to exclusionary zoning where you can only have housing in residential zoned areas and you can only have commercial and commercial zoned areas, mm -hmm. which is, a, I think, a step in the right direction. Obviously, there needs to be environmental, you know, I it does, I think that there should be environmental reviews, obviously, yeah. like to make sure that, like you said, it is safe. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that this is definitely a step in the right direction. 100%. Especially in the, in the housing crisis. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. We need affordable. We need affordable housing. I am just hoping that this is a utilized, uh, you know, that this opportunity is utilized. Yeah. I really do hope. Um, so now moving on to SB 886, it's the California Environmental Quality Act's exemption for public universities, uh, university housing development projects. So it's kind of an interesting title, but SB 886 would allow universities to build projects on their campus faster and for a lower cost by streamlining the CEQA review process so long as the project meets certain criteria. It was passed by the State Assembly 822-2022, um, uh, passed on a vote of 70 to 2, so pretty Let good. Let me see if it's been passed. <laughs> and it was concurrent with the State Senate 824 by a vote of 37 to 1. Um, it might not have been signed yet, but honestly, I should have looked at this today. No, it's okay. I mean, it is, it's been a while, so I feel like it might have been signed. It was approved by the governor yeah. on September 28th, 2022. Perfection. So yeah, it has been signed. Everything's good to go. Um, so I'm curious as to what, so what they, like what the criteria that they have to meet, like mm -hmm. I am interested to know what that criteria is going to be. Um, so maybe we can, you know, find that out later and maybe even do like a part two, like update on some of the bills. Um, but I think it's great. I mean, I do think that student housing is a really complicated um, set to provide your faces <laughs> is worrying me. No, What's I'm wrong? reading, I'm reading the thing. The, oh. the requirements. It's actually oh, okay. very interesting. Okay. Read them. Um, okay. Okay. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so it has to be, so each building within the project is certified as LEED Platinum. LEED is the Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's like a certification process that buildings can undergo. And then Platinum is, I believe, the highest. Mm -hmm. um, so or, I guess it's not because it says Platinum more better. So no, there's something about platinum, I guess. Isn't gold better than platinum? Mm -mm. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Wow. Wow. I used to do a work in lead and I forgot. Well, platinum um, is just so good. Yeah. So platinum are better by the Green Building Council. The project's construction impacts are fully mitigated and the project is not located on certain types of sites, including a site that is within a special flood hazard area 
um, or within a regulatory floodway. And that is probably not everything, but a good picture as to some of the insights of what they're looking at. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is like student housing is very much needed and it's becoming even more and more expensive as the shortage of housing continues because there is always going to be high demand near universities. And as long as there's a shortage, it's just the price is going to be really inflated. And that's extremely unfair to college students who are already really trying their hardest to just make it through and, you know, graduate after having to take out lots of loans or, you know, even if they don't like just having to pay for housing can be really stressful. Um, and so I think this is a great law. I haven't, I would need to like read more just to make sure that, you know, I don't think there's anything that could be bad. I mean, CEQA streamlining is extremely important. I think we need it with more projects because when you do streamline that process, you cut out a lot of costs to the developer and that only makes housing easier to build. So I think it's good in my book. Yeah. I think, um, it's interesting reading this. There are, uh, there are more. Okay. Things that you have like boxes that you have to check kind of, it does say, um, to maximize public health and environmental benefits, the public university shall ensure that the measures will reduce the emissions of greenhouse gases in the project area and in the neighboring communities. Um, and then it goes on to kind of talk a little bit more about greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the first thing that I thought of when I read this was Munger Hall. <laughs> I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast before, I forget, but it's basically this proposed dorm at UC Santa Barbara, which is where I went for undergrad, mm-hmm. that will, um, it will house like 5,000 students, I want to say. And it yeah. has the exterior, it's basically one big square. Or, yeah. And all the outer building or all the outer rooms will have windows. Except none on the inside. None on the inside. They're going to be uh, fake windows. That- like a prison. Like, you know, in rhythm type windows. Well, you know, what's horrible, though, is this is exactly how slum uh, dwellings were built, like back in, you know, like back when housing was built as basically just like a bunch of buildings, like as close to each other as possible. And in, you know, at the time when there was when they were going through slum clearance, like they took photographs of these, like they would take photographs of people inside. And literally it's a room with no windows like And then also in those buildings, they would put the bathrooms in the center and with no windows for like air clearance of, you know, using the restroom, like it was really bad. Not to say that this is similar, but like it does, it just, why would you not, why would you make any type of design like that in this day? I have, I just don't get it. And I, I don't think a circadian window or whatever you're talking about is going to make much of a difference as to like what a bad decision that is. Yeah. The only, I don't, you know, with this, I don't know if it will streamline sequel. I don't know if lead would give that platinum or better. Like, right. I feel like that environmental design is not healthy. Yeah. I don't. So I, mean, I, I think that they are also, I think the university is, getting sued though because they haven't been providing housing at the rate that they've been admitting students right. I think that was the push for a building like this but I'm really interested to see what happens with that but I do think that this is a I think sequel streamlining is really nuanced as well like I don't really know how you yeah know. 
I just think the problem is when you rush like this, like these are the problems you start having. Like you start really not really caring about like the design standard and that's just creates an, just another set of issues. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's really complicated, but I do understand like the push to get more housing on the ground as fast as possible. I just don't think it should be at the expense of, you know, someone having to live inside a room with no windows. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot more that have passed. We'll link um, some sources that kind of talk more about those and we'll link the bills that we talked about in this episode. Yeah. But we just wanted to kind of give a little rundown of some of the types of bills, some of the flavors of bills that have been getting signed by the governor in the state of California as it kind of applies to what we do in planning. Um, But like I said, there are a lot more and we will provide resources for anyone interested in reading more about those. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed just kind of hearing us and sorry for being so confused about parking minimums. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, there's- It is confusing because minimum makes it sound like not a lot, even though right. it's like the like ceiling kind of. Yeah, exactly. So right. confusing. Yeah, so anyways, um, just really glad that we got to talk about some of them and at least share our thoughts on, you know, some of these that are coming down the line. Um, So yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, and next week we'll hopefully have a pretty special guest on the episode. So stay tuned for that. Very exciting. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And remember guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not.